This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture is John 14, verses 12 through 31, which can be found on page 901 in the Pew Bibles around you. John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of the truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. Amen. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for your word. Would you instruct us this morning? Would you enlighten our eyes? Would you grant us a spirit of revelation, spirit of truth, come and make us to see and know and respond to your word? Would you enable us and empower us, animate our minds this morning? Would you animate our desires and affections this morning? Would you animate our will and would you animate our emotions? Would you come and speak, give grace, 
and have your way here. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we're picking up from where we left off last week. Uh, Last week we began looking at this section in John chapter 14, looking at ways that Jesus lays out that when he departs to go be with the Father, he will send the Spirit to his followers and what the Spirit comes to do among his disciples. Uh, If you've got the notes, I'm gonna breeze through this review, um, mostly beginning at point E. What we saw last week is Jesus declares that there are three things particularly that the Spirit will do in this section. The first thing we saw last week was Jesus promising that the Spirit will empower the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, to do the works of Jesus, even greater works, because he goes to the Father. And, and this would be expressed in a particular, particular way through answered prayer. Uh, we saw that Jesus promised that his father would answer prayers offered in agreement with him and the spirit would be sent to align our hearts with his and empower us to see his kingdom expressed in the world. That's the first thing we saw last week. The second thing that we saw uh, was that the spirit was promised to empower the disciples of Jesus to walk in obedient love. This is in many ways the primary emphasis of the section that you heard read this morning. I don't know if you picked up on it again, but five times in this section, Jesus relates obedience to love. Love for God with obeying his commandments, obeying his word, or he even says, this is how the world knows that I love the Father is that I obey his commandments. We saw in the last verse there. This, as the Spirit comes to us, he enables us to walk out our love for Christ in a spirit of obedience. This is one of the primary activities of the Spirit in the world. So all of this is possible, and this is where we're gonna spend all of our time today. This was gonna be the third point of the sermon last week, but I didn't make it to it, so I just stretched it out. And uh, we have it for this morning. But it's all possible by this, because in the sending of the Holy Spirit, uh, we are now united to Christ. This is, this is a glorious and beautiful doctrine, one that is meant to shape how we understand ourselves in the world, how we understand what obedience looks like, how we're to understand our relationship with God. The doctrine of union with Jesus by the Spirit is one that is really powerful and really beautiful. And so we're going to spend some time drilling into what that means for us as followers of Jesus. So I just want to read uh, verses 20 to 23 again. This is going to be where we spend the majority of our time together. So Jesus says, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So there's that idea again of obedient love being one of the primary expressions of the Spirit's ministry in our lives. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So that word manifest myself, uh, take it and underline it, highlight it, do something with it. It's an important one to what we're going to look at today. 
So Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the one who was to betray Jesus, says to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him and he said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There it is again. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come and make our home with him. So Jesus here teaches us that the presence of the spirit and the spirit's ministry is essential to the life of union that is to be enjoyed and experienced by all who follow him. Jesus tells his disciples that it's through the spirit that they will participate in the same type of union that he possesses with the father. The glorious outcome of the gospel is the fact that we're invited to participate in loving union with the triune God. I, I want us to not miss this as a people. We talk about being a gospel-centered people, uh, that we want the gospel at the center of everything we do, and that's 100% true. The gospel is the message that God has made a way for broken and fallen image bearers, you and me, who were rebellious against him, who walked in a way that was outside of his will, who walked directly against what he desired. He made a way for you and for me to be brought into communion with the triune God. That's, that's the message of the gospel. The gospel is not only the message that your sins can be forgiven. That's a beautiful part of the gospel. The beautiful, it's a necessary element of the gospel. You need your sins forgiven in order for you to stand in the presence of a holy God. However, our sins forgiven brings us into an access point with God. But the glorious outcome of the gospel is that you are taken and joined to the eternal God in loving union with him forever. That is the glorious outcome of the gospel. It isn't just that I got my sins forgiven and I don't have to be separated from God forever. That is beautiful and glorious. But the highest end of the gospel is that you are joined to God forever. That is, that is the end of the gospel. This is the glory of our inheritance as believers. Look at 2 Corinthians 3. This is what Paul's getting at. And I want to encourage you, maybe sometime today, go and read the whole of 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3, what Paul is doing is he's saying the glory that you have as your inheritance in Christ Jesus takes what Moses had and makes it no glory at all. And that, that makes me scratch my head sometimes because Moses stood on a mountain and told God, let me see your glory. And God let all of his goodness pass before Moses. And Paul takes that episode and said, it's like no glory compared to what you and I experience in the new covenant. It's literally what he's getting at. So what you and I experience right now, joined to Christ by the Spirit, is more glorious than Moses could have imagined seeing all of the goodness of God pass before him. 
That's what the scripture is getting at there. But how he ends it is this. He says, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. And because of that, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Peter says something similar about our inheritance in the gospel in second Peter chapter one, he says he's granted to us. God has granted to us all of his precious and very great promises so that through these promises, you can become partakers of the divine nature. You can be taken and put into very union with God himself. Now, you don't become God. You always stay a creature. You always stay something that is created. But he takes you and the same kind of loving union that he experiences as one God expressed in three persons for all eternity. He says, I'm going to take you and I am going to bring you into that kind of fellowship. That is what Peter is saying here. So when it says you are a partaker of the divine nature, it means that God took you and he brought you in to the very fellowship of the triune God. And you get to experience that and enjoy that and uh, delight in that for all of eternity. So the doctrine of union with Christ is an absolutely essential piece for understanding our Christian lives. The reality of union with him is like a summary statement that speaks of several different relationships that we have uh, that, that exist between Christ through the Holy Spirit, through which we receive the fullness of the blessings of God's life and salvation. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 3. This is what Paul's getting at at the beginning of Ephesians. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Again, I want somebody to say every. Every, Every, yeah, thank you. Every single spiritual blessing that exists is yours in Christ Jesus. Life, peace, joy, hope, in abundance that can never run out for all eternity. He says, Every one of those blessings belongs to you because you are in Christ Jesus. You are joined to him. You have been taken out of death and joined to Jesus by faith through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, every blessing that God has in heavenly places belongs to you. That is unthinkable. So earlier in the passage, John 14, Jesus has declared that he shared intimate union with the Father. This speaks of how Jesus enjoyed full participation in communion and life that he had as he walked this earth. Look at John 14, 10. He says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So he's looking at his disciples earlier in the same sermon and he goes, I want you to know something. When you look at me, when you experience me, as you watch me work and walk through this world, I want you to know something that is the fundamental and primary truth of my life. 
I right now am in the Father, and the Father is in me. That speaks of intimate union, that they are joined together, that they participate in life together. He says that, and then he uses the same exact language to talk about when he goes to the Father, you are going to be in me, and I am going to be in you. So he says, the same thing that I experience with the Father, you are going to experience when I go to be with him and I send the Spirit. Jesus declares that believers will experience this type of union because of his work and the sending of the Spirit. So we're going to highlight what does union with Christ mean. I think there's four elements that I want to drill into. You could probably put more here, but there's four that we're going to look at this morning. Number one, we are in Christ. Number two, Christ is in us. Number three, we are empowered to be like Christ. And number four, the Spirit will manifest God's presence to us. So these four elements could be taken out as this is what it means to be united with Christ by the Spirit. So look at Roman numeral three, we are in Christ. So the eternal plan of God was carried out in Christ Jesus. This is the locus of all of God's purposes was always meant to exist in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ. We've talked about this several times walking through this passage. This is where Jesus earlier says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He locates in himself and in himself alone the full storehouses of God's purposes. You can't experience God's purposes anywhere else outside of the man Jesus Christ. It's impossible. And this has been what God desired from eternity past. Look at Ephesians 1 again. This is right after the earlier passage where he says all of the spiritual blessings are made available to us in Christ Jesus. He says, now even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. So what Paul's getting at there is, from eternity past, God's plan is only walked out in Christ Jesus. The locus of the plan of God, the blessings of God, the life of God, salvation of God, is exclusively oriented in Christ Jesus alone. There is no other way to experience it. And that was the choice of God even before he created anything. He said, this is how I'm going to put it forth. You could see 2 Timothy on your own. So what does it mean to be in Jesus? Here's a couple aspects. We are in Christ in his death. So we are joined to Christ in death. This has real meaning for us, real meaning for us. Because of this, our lives take on what you could call a, a cruciform shape as we are conformed into his likeness. Look at Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So, what this means is because you are in Jesus, 
when you went under the waters of baptism as a signifier, what that showed was when you were born again, the old person that was your sinful, rebellious uh, inner man was put to death. Jesus put to death your flesh, your old way of being. It is dead in him. That's what the scriptures tell us, right? So when we do the sacrament of baptism and we witness together someone go under the water, we always say, right, buried with Christ in baptism. There is a symbolic signifier that happens there that we, because we have been born again, there is a part of us that has died, And now in the world, we live as those who are dead to sin and alive to God, right? So we're with him in death. That's the death of our old self. And here's here's something that I don't have a ton of time to push down into us. But it is clear from the New Testament that because we are joined to Jesus, our lives are will take on a more cross-like shape through our lives. As we're conformed to his image, we lay our lives down, empowered by his grace. His mind uh, becomes in us. This is the, the Philippians 2 passage I have there. And we begin to, like he does, take up our cross and follow him. That's discipleship 101. Jesus says, anybody who wants to follow me has to take up a cross. Our lives will take on more shape like the cross as we follow him. And that may not look like actual physical death, but it will look like what we see in Philippians 2 Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, meaning he shared God's very being from eternity past, he did not take that place of uh, status and use it for his own gain. He poured that out for the sake of another. And that's what our lives take on as we are joined to him in his death. So we're joined to Jesus in his death, Letter C, we are joined to Jesus in his resurrection. Because of this, our lives are empowered by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Look at further in Romans 4, or Romans 6, I'm sorry. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, right? So we're buried with Christ in baptism. What do we say next? raised to walk in the newness of life, right? We've died to the old man, the flesh, sin, all of that rebellion that dictated our lives outside of Jesus. And now because that has been put to death in him, the spirit of Christ that gave life to Jesus and raised him now is at work in us that we might present ourselves as alive to him we might walk in newness of life. That is what we have been granted. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you also 
must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Hey, I, I do this. This is just a side note. I'm just thinking of this in the moment. I will do this quite regularly where Paul exhorts us in Romans 6 to present ourselves before God, present our members as alive from the dead, right? I will regularly come before the Lord in my, in my mind's eye and take the different faculties that he's given me and say to him, God, I present my mind to you as alive from the dead. Would you take the thoughts that uh, were part of my old man and let them be dead? Would you put them to death? Would you give me the strength to put them to death? I present my mind to you. Will you fill my mind with your truth? Will you fill my mind with your thoughts? Will you shape the way that I think? I present my mind to you as alive from the dead. And I'll just work through my eyes, my heart, my hands, my feet, like all of these parts. And I'll say, God, they belong to you. Here I am, alive from the dead. Empower me to walk in your ways. I don't present them to sin that I might be a slave to it. I present them to you because I've been joined to you in your resurrection. And now the newness of life that you have works in me because of Christ. Letter D on the top of page three. We're now in Christ seated in heavenly places. Just look at a couple of these. Ephesians 2, when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought about that in the sense of like, hey, where am I? Well, right now I'm in 3921 Baltimore, right? Sitting in a chair, in a pew. But you're also seated in heavenly places right now in Christ Jesus. Your life has been taken and joined to the one who is ruling and reigning over all the cosmos. That's what the scripture says, right? Right now, you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at Colossians. What, what does this mean for us? Paul lays it out here. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So don't seek the things of the world. Don't seek the ways of thinking about the world that the world will tell. Don't seek the things that the world values. Don't seek the things that we think are, are important and meaningful, defined by this life. He says, get your value system up higher. Get your ways of thinking up to the place where you are presently, he says. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Christ seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Why? For you have died. There it is again. You've been joined to Christ in death. And your life now is hidden with Christ in God. Right now. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
which means we are to renew our minds by the power of his word and the power of his spirit who dwells in us, to set our minds on his ways, his values, his truth, where we are seated with him even now. Okay, so we are in Christ. That's point number one. Point number two, Christ is in us. We are recipients of the spirit of Jesus who now dwells in us. This means that Jesus now lives in us through the uniting presence of the Holy Spirit who has been joined to us by, in our spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. The one who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So if you are in Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, if you have put your faith in him, the scripture tells us that at that moment, Jesus sent you his spirit and his spirit joined you and you are one with him. Like in covenant union of a marriage, you have been made one with the eternal God by his spirit. The spirit of Christ now dwells in us and he is our hope of receiving and experiencing the glory of God. This is Colossians 1. Okay, so that one now gets expressed in a couple ways. You're gonna think I'm not talking about that one for very long, but that's just the reality. Jesus has sent his spirit and now you have been made one with the spirit of God. Again, like a covenant union with him. And in this, now we are empowered to be like Christ. So there's a dynamic relationship we've seen again and again here uh, between the power for obedient love and the union with Christ by the Spirit, right? So we saw this. Uh, look at verse 20 again. In that day, you will know that I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. What's the next words out of his mouth? Whoever has my commandments keeps them. So there's this remarkable, dynamic relationship between union with Christ and obedient love. It, it, it's all through this section. One of the dynamic realities of participating in the life of God is that the Spirit now empowers us to be transformed into the image of Jesus in our minds, so what we think about, our wills, and our emotions, okay? This is what we saw earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We behold the face of Jesus and we are changed from one degree of glory into the next, into the same image that Jesus is. So the goal, we'll talk about it a lot here. If you go out and you get any of our cards that have you know, our distinctives on them as a church, one of them is we have a particular commitment to spiritual formation. And that isn't just a buzzword. Uh, lots of people talk about spiritual formation. Let me define for you what spiritual formation means. It means that we are committed to partner with Christ by the grace given to us by the Spirit to be formed into the likeness of Jesus. That's what spiritual formation is. Spiritual formation is the pursuit enabled by the Spirit to see our, uh, to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Now this happens, to be formed into the likeness means that our thoughts, 
our emotions, our desires, or our will, and our actions are conformed to his. Look at Galatians 4, and this is the the purpose of Paul's ministry. He says this in Galatians, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul says the point of my ministry was to see Jesus formed in you. I want to see Jesus's thoughts formed in you, his desires formed in you. I want to see your will conformed to his will. I want to see his emotions expressed in your life. That's what I give everything away for. I want to see more of Jesus in your life formed into Christ. This is what we've been called to. Look at Romans 8. The ones that he foreknew, he predestined. And what did he predestine us for? Not what we would imagine, right? We think predestination and we think about predestined to go to heaven or not go to heaven. He says, you've been predestined what? To be conformed into the image of his son. That's what God foreknew and chose you for, was to see his very likeness worked out in you, in the way that you think, in the way that you feel, in the way that you live. Later in John 15, Jesus defines this union as abiding. To abide in Christ is to consistently and intentionally utilize the means that he's ordained in order to experience more of his life-giving power in us. We can't earn God's activity in our lives by our obedience. This is a free gift given to us. Yet we must employ our faculties in partnership with the Spirit and his grace to cultivate loving union with him. So John 15, 5, if I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I like Dallas Willard's addition there. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you do nothing, it's apart from me. Meaning, we actually do participate. He activates something in us through union that we pursue the things that he has designed for us so that we can see his life made manifest more fully in us. So we're empowered to be like him. All right, look at the last thing with me. Top of page four. The spirit manifests God's presence among us. That's So we're in Christ, Christ is in us, we're empowered in our lives to be conformed into the image of Christ, and we see the Spirit manifest the presence of God in our lives. Jesus promises that believers will experience manifestations of the Father's presence in their lives, even in this age. We do not experience the fullness of this, but seek to align our hearts with him in order to experience more of this. So God's presence, let me define it for you four ways. I wish we had a lot of time to talk about this, but you can think of God's presence in four ways, right? Because a lot of times we get really skittish when we talk about the presence of God, right? Because we wanna go, well, God's presence is everywhere at all times. And that's true, right? That's true. But we have different aspects that you see the presence of God talked about in different ways in the scripture. So we see the omnipresence of God. This is where God is present in all places at all times. Very clear. God is everywhere. 
There's no place you can run. You can't ascend to a height. You can't go to a depth. You can't run to the farthest part of the earth. God is there. His spirit is there. There is no place that you can run to or go to where his presence is not there. The second aspect you could talk about it is the covenant presence of God. There is a particular way that God is present with those who are his because he's given you the spirit, right? If he has joined his spirit to you, he is with you always in a particular way, in a way that he is not just everywhere at all times. He is always with you in a particular way all the time. And that's regardless of whether you're aware of it or not aware of it. He has joined himself to you and he is with you always. I call the third one, the ecclesial presence of God. This is when we gather, God is present among us in a unique way. Again, whether we're aware of it or not, when we gather and we sing, why does it matter that you open your mouth and sing? Psalm 22 says that God's, God takes his throne up in the praises of his people. Why does it matter that you open your mouth when we're singing? Because when we praise God, he establishes his presence in a unique way in our midst. That really happens whether we're aware of it or not. So when I walk in and I'm sluggish and I don't want to open my mouth and I reach and go, okay, no, I want to honor God. I want to bring my heart and my emotions and my thoughts into alignment with who he is. And so I'm going to open my mouth and declare the truth of who he is, even if everything on my inside is like cold and dry and dull. That doesn't matter. It does not matter one lick. All I want to do when we gather together is go, God, can you be enthroned here? For the sake of us as a people, for the sake of our city, we want to see God enthroned in this place. And we see that that happens in particular ways when we gather. It happens in particular ways when we gather. So we have... Those three, and then the fourth is what we see here is Jesus says, because I go to the Father and I send the Spirit, we will come and I will manifest the Father's presence among you. We will come and make our abode with you. There are times where the Spirit gives recognizable expressions of God's presence. This is very clear through the scripture and through the history of the church, right? God in particular times and among his people will give recognizable expressions of his presence. And we ask for these. We ask him to do these more. We align ourselves with his truth and ask him that he would make his presence more recognizable to us. The things that are true, whether we experience them or not, right? He's everywhere at all times, no matter what. He's with you, joined to you every time, always, no matter what. When we gather together, he is here in our midst, taking up his throne in the midst of our praises, no matter what. And I want to be more aware of that as much as he'll let me. 
I want recognizable expressions of that in my life more and more. So how does this happen? Let me just give you a handful. There's way more you could put here, but let me give you some just so that you're not, I want our expectations to be shaped rightly, right? When we come together on a Sunday morning, I want us to regularly be going, God, release more of your presence, release more of your presence, release manifestations of your presence. Would you inhabit our praises and let us be more aware that you are here with us, seated enthroned in our midst? What does that look like, right? Like, what does that experience actually look like? Because we could think that it's some sort of like out-of-body experience or something. And if we have that as the standard, I think we will regularly be disappointed. And we will regularly miss the tangible, recognizable expressions of God's presence in our midst. So let me just give you a handful of them. The works of God. We talked about this last week. We want to pursue these. These are real things that God does in our midst. He heals people. He delivers people from oppression. He saves people. We want to see people walk in and hear the truth of God proclaimed and they are awakened to life, right? That's manifestations of God's presence. If somebody moves from darkness to light, God's presence has been manifested in a recognizable, tangible way. And we long for that. We want more of that. We want God to pour out more anointing in this place so that we can see more people come to know the knowledge of Jesus, right? That's the works of God expressed. The gifts of the Spirit, we long for these to be expressed. These are prophecy, tongues, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discernment of spirits, like all these things that Jesus will give because of, by his Spirit to build up and edify the people of God as the people of God. We want to see these expressed when we gather, right? So even looking at one another and going, God, do you have something to say to these people this morning? Did that person across the way from me, like, would you give me your heart for them? Would you give me a word for them? Would you give me grace to see them the way that you see them? And then empower me to go speak that to them. We want to see that. That's recognizable, tangible ways that God manifests his presence among his people. Revelation of the truth. We see later in this passage, John 14, 26, Jesus says one of the ways that the Spirit will manifest God to his people is by making them know the truth more, right? Aligning them, making them receptive to the truth. The Spirit makes the truth alive to us. Have you ever, like, been in a... In, in the word or in a church service or in a conversation with someone. And it's like a, a scripture you've literally read 10,000 times all of a sudden like hits you. That is the spirit of God manifesting the father to you. And if that's not your expectation, we will miss it and not know that this is recognizable evidence of the Spirit's presence in my life. 
right? Me being more aligned to the desire for the truth in my, in my thoughts. That thing jumping off the page to me and going, oh my goodness, I never saw that before. That's the spirit of God working. You didn't do that. First Corinthians two says we don't have the capacity to do that. We cannot in our flesh rightly assess the things of God. It takes the spirit to do that. And we need his presence to do that. So that's one of the ways. The other way would be, other ways are peace of Christ. We see that in this passage as well. My peace I leave leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So when you experience the peace of Christ, it is a recognizable, tangible expression of God's presence in your life. Thank him for it. Conviction. There are places that I like to call the painful graces of the spirit that we will often run away from and not recognize as the recognizable evidences of the presence of God in our life. When you feel convicted of sin, the spirit of God is manifesting himself to you. You did not create that. You didn't create it. Conviction, longing. If you feel in a place like, God, I want to know you more. I want to, this pain hurts and I want you to come and answer. You didn't make that. That is the spirit of God manifesting his presence to you. Yes, praise God. That really is the Lord working in your your heart. And then the last one I'll talk about is the grace for obedience. When we experience more ability to put to death sin in our lives and walk in obedience, it is evidence of the Spirit's presence in our life. That may not feel like there's like this glorious uh, parting of the Red Sea and trumpets like blaring. It might feel really normal. But we have the testimony of the scripture that that is the spirit of God manifesting the presence of God to you. Do we have eyes to see it? Do we have hearts that are attuned to that and thankful for that as we walk through our lives? And this is what we long to pursue together, right? We long to come together and sing the praises of God and hear the word of God and sit under the truth of God so that our hearts and minds are conformed that we might give him praise and we might see his presence expressed in our lives. Amen. Would you stand with me? God, we thank you for the presence of your spirit in our midst even now. God, we thank you that the truth of your presence transcends everything that we may perceive or feel or be aware of. Thank you that we have been put into Christ, that Christ is in us right now. And Spirit of God, I want to ask that in this room, at this moment, that you would give recognizable expressions of your presence. 
Would you do that in our midst, even right now? Would you give a spirit of revelation? Would you awaken hunger and longing? Would you give grace for for obedience? Would you give grace for pursuing you? Would you give peace? God, would you release the gifts of your spirit in this moment for the building up of your church? Would you let us see with your eyes? Would you cause us to be more conformed into the image of Jesus because of your grace? We're going to respond together by coming to the table this morning and celebrating the Lord's Supper. And this is a meal to remind us. And we get to glory in this beautiful truth of being united to Jesus. And we remember every week that we are united to Christ by no merit of our own, by no work of our own. Nothing that we have done could accomplish the work that he has done. It's only because of his broken body and his shed blood that we have access to God and fellowship with him. And if you believe that, you're a Christian, and we want to invite you to come and take this meal with us. This meal is open to any and all who put their faith in Christ and in him alone. The way we take communion at Redeemer is tear a piece of the bread off and dip it into the cup. We have wine in the stoneware, juice in the glassware. We'll have servers up in the front, in the middle, and in the balcony, and uh, gluten-free to my right over here. Yeah, servers, you can come on up. If you're in the room and you don't put your faith in Jesus, we want to ask that you not come take this meal with us. This meal doesn't unite you to Jesus. Uh, Faith in Jesus is what brings you into the life of God alone. This meal signifies something. It points to something. It's a sign of something, of a reality that exists in Jesus alone. And so we want to ask that you not come and take this meal with us. Don't feel the pressure to come and be a part of this, but just stay where you are. Stay in your seat. We have cards uh, in the seat backs in front of you that would uh, help you pray if you desire. Um, But for those of you who are coming, we're going to respond now through song, through coming to the table. And like we do every week, we've got people all through the sanctuary who would love to pray with you and pray for you. Ask the Lord to speak to you, to move in your life. If you need healing in your body or you need, uh, you, you feel stirred by the spirit this morning and just want somebody to stand with you and ask for him to do more, uh, we have people who would love to do that with you. And we're gonna respond in those ways. Come forward and receive when you're ready.